rolling. You got us? All right, good. All right, well, this is Get It Raw. We're back again. Here to have a conversation with our friend Vinny Polizzi. Did I say it right? You said it right. Did I say it like a like a time? You said like you just came off the boat. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> you say it. Say it for me real quick. Polizzi. Oh, man, it's sexier when he says it. Polizzi. Yeah, man. Polizzi. Yeah, my panties just dropped. <laughs> I don't want to picture that. <laughs> don't know why you wear your panties yeah. in the first place, but okay. I don't wear them. I'm married. He man. doesn't wear them. It's a way to keep your marriage like you know flavorful. If keep you know it strong, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Keep it going. <laughs> if I know what she goes goes through and, and she knows what I go through, then we can connect on a deeper level. Uh, right. So we both wear thongs. That's why I've never been married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly never tried. tried. Oh man. Okay, so Vinny, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell people. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I am down here now in Florida. Uh, moved down from New York City. You've been down here for a while, though. I got here in 2018. All right. Um, so, not too long. Yeah, it's three years now. Yeah. Um, my old man's been out of the hospital, uh, as you guys know. Um, How's he anyway? He's doing all right. I mean, he's got his ups and downs, but, you know, he keeps chugging along. He's, you know, That's good. Yeah. I'm happy for him. I'm happy that I'm down here to help him and my mother. It's a good thing. Um, it's really weird, like, now at this point in time, because, like, I left home when I was 18. You know, I was gone. I was out. I was done. Never thought I was going to be back. You mean you were in the mafia? <laughs> You're like, There's no such thing as a mafia. It's no? A it's a fabrication by the government. Oh, oh okay. So you know what FBI stands for? No. Forever bothering Italians. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I have not heard that. Does that apply to Irish as well? Yeah, you can put them in there. Or you just want to say fuck the Irish. Yeah, kind of. But, you know, no. I have, I have some really good friends who are Irish. I have a friend of mine who's from County Cork, and I've known the guy for over 20 years. And when I talk to him on the phone, I'll just tell him to text me, because I still can't understand him. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a great, he's a great dude. He's... I literally call him the people's champion. Uh, Richie, if you're out there, miss you, mate. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so you left home. I, yeah, I left home. I was I was on my own. Um, and now, at this point in time, coming back and living with my parents again, um, and uh, it gives me, like, a whole new perspective on them because, you know, I knew them for a certain point in time in my life. And then, you know, not that I lost contact with them or anything, I saw them, but it wasn't like something I saw or lived every single day. And when you go back, I think anybody who does this, they go back and they see their their parents are like, where, where, who are you people? Like, where did I come from? Like, what is that? Was that like that when I, all that time? Really? Okay. Okay. And you just kind of, you know, and it's, I'm looking on it now as a is a really great thing because I get to relearn who my parents are, and it's I love them. They're great. I've got a great family. I've got you know my two parents. I've got three great sisters. But just getting to know them all over again, you know, on a daily basis is was something new. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Now at least you weren't a mistake. No, no. They tell me I was the only one that's planned. I. <laughs> I keep texting my sisters every once in a while, and like uh, I can show you on my phone now. I have a T-shirt that says, 
I'm mom's favorite. And I text him, I'm like, just re remember this. Cause oh. I actually got my mother to admit it at Christmas once. So I was like, Ma, I was like, you know, like, come on, just let everybody know. Like, you know it, I know it, they all know it, but just say it. Like, I'm your favorite, right? I'm your favorite, I'm your favorite, right? And she's it's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't want to say it because she doesn't even want to say it out loud because she doesn't want to hurt my sister's feelings. But, you know, it is. I am the favorite. It is what it is, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, my mom said, oops. Fuck. <laughs> oh, shit. God damn it. Four times in a row. <laughs> really? Yeah. Four kids. It was shit. Yeah. Oops. God damn it. Fuck. <laughs> I'm one of four. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have, like, you have three sisters, though. Yeah. And I had three brothers. Two older, one younger. Oh, yeah. do you? Yeah. Yeah, you learn a lot uh, sharing a bathroom with three women for eighteen years. Oh man, that's why. <laughs> that's why you didn't get married. <laughs> oh man, that's pretty wild. I'm also one of four. Okay, uh, all of us are the four. Wow, well, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I don't think we could sit three people down together and they'll all would be one, you know have the same number of siblings. But um, <clears throat> yeah, and, and I was listening, like, to think about me, if I was to go back and live with them again, I was out around 18, then I was back, then I was out, then I was back. I've been in and out until, until I, you know, got in this house, finally. Mm -hmm. And um, so I feel like I hadn't missed out on that big chunk of time, that difference uh, mm -hmm. for, you know, because they, they've always been there. We've always been employed. I've been in the same city. So okay. just the dynamic uh, of what what you what you've gone through, what you're seeing now, versus what I feel like I've the exposure I've had to my parents and um, knowing about Ray and, his, and with his mom and, and dad, it's you know we do have the same number of siblings, but I guarantee you, like our relationships are all different with our, par our parents. Which yeah, what are you trying to say? Surprise, but it's just interesting. Yeah, <laughs> well, I can't go back. I won't. <laughs> I won't go back. <laughs> I, I will die before that happens, you know, but that's the way it is. You know, I, my dad was, uh, you know, left at a very early age. Mm -hmm. He was a junkie uh, a little bit, you know, um, he moved on with his life. And my mother was uh, batshit crazy, you know, so I took care of my three brothers. But that's 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 what life deals with. it. So anyway, yeah. you got three sisters, beautiful sisters, right? Yeah, I moved out when I was 18. I'm going to be I'm going to be 50 this coming summer. So you look great, good man. To, like I'm 49 years old and. You know, uh, every time I it, see you, it was you a, look like a thirty. You look in your thirties, you know. Thank you. I look good. You're thank still you. Yeah. I actually had a work colleague say that to me uh, a few days ago. She was she was nineteen, and uh, oh. I said uh, she asked me. She goes, "How old are you?" I said, "I'm fifty. She or I'm almost fifty. Huh. She's like, "I thought you were thirty. I was like, "I like you <laughs> a lot." I was like, you're awesome. What did she say? She's like, wow, you look, you look good. I was like, I know. I was like, this doesn't just happen. You know, come on. takes a lot of work to look like this. Did you get a number? No. Now, come on, man. No. I mean, that's that's basically a woman's version of like, hey, no. you're interested? Right? I, am I wrong for saying that? No. And I never want to say I'm too old, but. You're too I'm old. too old. <laughs> I'm 19. You know what I mean? You think Hugh Hefner ever said that? I doubt it. No. no. Hugh Hefner, you know, he probably said to the girl, you're too old, and she was probably, you know, <laughs> right. 22. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, okay. Yeah. Anyway, you left home when you are 18. You're yeah. living, on, living on your own. 
to come back to take care of your mother and your father, which is romantic as shit anyway, right? You got this Italian beef hunk of a man that looks like he's in his 30s. And Wooing 19-year-olds all over the land. Apparently. <laughs> just, apparently my panties aren't the only one dropping at this point, okay? Yeah, I don't want to say, like, my my parents aren't invalid, you know what I mean? Like, they, you know, they're still, they still get up and get around, but it just helps having me near and, right. and close right now. And they're good you people, know. man. They're, yeah. they're lovely people. They're so. awesome people. Yeah. All right, so now now what? What's going on now? Now, I have, you know, if you told me this, man, a couple years ago, I would have said no way. But um, down here now, I'm working at a place called the Gulf Coast Humane Society, and I am... Uh, working with dogs and it's amazing i absolutely love it i love going to work every day it's fantastic the people there are great the people who work there are great the dogs are really uh awesome they just you know there's cats there too let me tell you that i gotta mention the cats yeah but they're all pussies yeah <laughs> <laughs> listen man but, i mean uh, it makes sense though you got this tall dark like handsome man Around puppies all day. Of course, nineteen-year-olds are going to throw them, you know, throw themselves at them. You probably got a couple of twenty-year-olds and some thirty-year-olds. You probably got, you know, puppies are like babies. They come yes. Well, that's the thing. Somebody said, "Well, what's it like, you know, having all those puppies?" I was like, "Well, I was talking to this woman in the shelter. I was like, oh, I was like, oh, it's great. I was like, but do you have kids?" She's like, "Yeah." I was like, "How many kids do you have?" She's like, "I have four. I was like, "Okay. Well, picture having all four of your kids at once. Okay." <laughs> Then take those kids after, you know, put them in a playpen, but no diapers and leave and come back and come back an hour later and see what it looks like. I was like, that's what it's like taking care of puppies. They are shit machines. That's what they do. And then she go, aww. She did, didn't she? She kind of went like, Oh, nice. uh, She's like, you handle shit all day? <laughs> Basically, that is what I do. I pick up a lot of shit all day long, man. And you're happy. I am extremely happy. I uh, rather take the shit from dogs than the shit I got to take from humans. <laughs> but no, I mean, I uh, when I first got down here, I was selling wine. You know what I mean? I was doing wine sales. Yeah, I mean, you were talking earlier about the notes and the expressions yeah. of Chardonnay, and I was like, "What the fuck are you talking?" And you're saying, "Oh, I, you know, it's not that I hate IPAs; I just don't like the expression." What the fuck is this guy talking about expressions? Uh, elaborate a little bit. You know a lot about this well, shit more than I do. Uh, when it comes to wine, uh, spirits, things like that, like different maker, different special. Let's stick with wine. Different winemakers can do different things, uh, or the growing conditions, uh, uh, when and how they harvest, um, to the type of aging vessels that they use can all add different, uh, notes and different things to, to wines. Okay. So when we were talking about Chardonnay earlier, I was always, I used to say before I started expanding, uh, my knowledge of wines that, oh, I, I, I hate Chardonnay. I hate Chardonnay. I hate Chardonnay. And I found out after drinking and trying different things, I don't hate Chardonnay. I just hate certain expressions of Chardonnay. All winemakers are artists, and every artist uh, creates something a little bit unique, a little bit different. And uh, I found my palate tends to be more towards French Chardonnays than American Chardonnays. Wow, um, what's the difference? What's the well, it depends. Like I said, it all depends on the grower, what they're doing, and I never. There's no absolutes. In wine, you know what I mean? I don't believe that. I mean, um, there's no really absolutes in life. Anything can happen. 
But what I mean is the, the Chardonnays that you generally find here in America are very buttery, very oaky, very just, you know. Um, Americans like butter. Because we're Americans. More America. 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 Yeah, this is America. We want fucking butter. Yeah, so they're very heavily oaked and heavily but heavily buttery. Um, they go through a process called uh, malolactic fermentation, which certain white wines do, like American Chardonnays do. But no, really, no other white wines go through that malolactic fermentation. I don't want to say no. All red wines have to go through it. Why? What does it do? It uh, it takes away the harshness. Um, it mellows. It mellows it out. It actually. Um, it mellows the note. It makes it palatable. Oh, I, thought, I thought it was. Yeah. Like it was, um, it, uh, it's taking an acid out of a wine. It's taking uh, and making it more um, approachable. Okay. You, wouldn't be, you wouldn't be able to drink it without without it going through that. Uh, this is the red wines. Um, so back where was I? Well, you know, I just got a question for so, you actually. Um, go ahead, go ahead. We're, we're I was gonna say no. Well, everybody does something different. Now I tend to like the more French Chardonnays because they tend to be a bit more crisp. They tend to be not oak, have over oaked, over buttered. They're still a full bodied white wine like Chardonnay is, but it doesn't have that heaviness to it that I find in American Chardonnay. That heavy, oaky, buttery that I'm not a fan of. Now, being that you have a really strong knowledge of wine. Is, have you seen a difference as far as like mold inhibitors uh, within the American wines versus the European wines? Not that I've really noticed. Um, I'm not too sure about mold inhibitors. All right, there's some like literature coming out that's actually been out for a while. The link between cancer and alcohol wines tend to be uh, elevate a woman's risk more so for breast cancer than most other alcohols. Okay. However, the expect the uh, the suspicion the, uh, uh, is European wines may not be linked to cancer as much as American wines. And the thought process behind that is possibly the mold inhibitors used within American wines versus European mm -hmm. wines. <clears throat> Just wondered if you had heard anything like that. No, no um, nothing. I haven't heard anything about mold inhibitors. I know that, you know, there's different things that one, one thing you have to realize, all, farm, all winemakers are farmers first. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, well, put it this way, the grower producers are all farm, are pretty much farmers first. Um, and certain crops, like anything, you know, they throw, you know, they throw chemicals, pesticides to, you know, to, for, to get their crop. Right. Um, why make you, you want to look for winemakers that are trying to use the most natural process possible. You know, you have your inexpensive wines. Like if you're paying, you know, if you got that 1.5 liter of wine, and you're paying five ninety nine, six bucks for it. There's a reason for that. It's because it's a whole lot of just you know grapes that really aren't uh, seen to that well. That are just you know sprayed with anything to keep pesticides off them, and they're making you know they're that making the wine yeah. I drank. Yeah, right. That's yeah. <laughs> all I can afford. So, did you see a difference between European and American wines, though, as far as that's concerned? Um, Natural versus... Well, what I see, I mean, what I noticed the difference mo mostly in is uh, the taste. You know, I, the taste of wines, like, American wines are very, uh, especially California, 
Cabernet. It's very fruit forward, very jammy, very. Uh, They're pretty fruity over there. I mean, Florida gets a yeah. lot of shit from the other states. California is a little fruity. Anyway, I'm talking about the wine. Ah, uh, okay. talking about the wine. Yeah, I yeah. think. Yeah, are you? Yeah, I'm talking. Well, yeah. there's Florida fruit wines here too. I did, I did. <laughs> People ask me, you want to try some of this orange wine? No. Yeah. Those, are the <laughs> Those are the ones that are like, I hate gays. Come here, boy. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you. So go ahead. And no, what I, what, I notice, what I notice myself just because I'm, big, I'm much more a fan of European wine and Italian wine in general. Just that's my personal taste. Not that there's not American wines that I don't like. It's just that my taste generally run towards... Italian wine and European wine. I've been drinking Italian wine since, you know, I was a kid. Like, I grew up in an Italian family, and, you know, my parents never let us get drunk, but they would always, you know, especially Sunday dinners, that was a big thing in my family. Sunday dinners, they would always have, you know, let you taste a little bit of wine. Sure, yeah. Because, you know, the, the thinking in Italy, like, wine is food. No one in Italy drinks wine to get drunk or to imbibe. You know, it's a compliment to a meal. It's... No one really drinks wine just to have a glass of wine. If they drink wine, they're having some cheese, some nuts, some olives, whatever. They're eating something with it. Um, no one really goes out to a bar and orders a glass of wine in Italy. And so they kind of savor it more, is what you're saying. It's savor more, but it's more of a, it's, yeah, it's a compliment to food. It's not yeah. something you, you really imbibe with. Um, kind of like in America, we, we compliment our pizza with beer. Yes. Nobody really drinks beer without pizza. Or bacon. Or bacon. Compliment no. every food, every well, food with yeah. bacon. Bacon yeah. and beer together. I mean, come on. Yeah. We need a bacon beer. I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure there's a bacon and beer, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. beer out there somewhere. Not, we want credit. Of all the things, man, being in the liquor business, of all the things, I've seen some, excuse me, I've seen some things, crazily infused things. You know, um, I was in a bar once uh, back in New York, and the bartender was a friend of mine, and I'm sitting behind the bar. I had been out the night before and I had hit it pretty hard and I'm hungover and then all of a sudden behind the bar I'm there of course the next morning I'm in a bar again go figure <laughs> hair of the dog but uh, I'm behind the bar I'm looking behind the bar and I see this bottle and there's no label on it it's just a bottle and it's got clear liquor and something floating in there and I went from the bartender what 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 is that She's like, oh, that's our uh, that's our vodka that we use for our Bloody Marys. It's got, it's in, there's, I'm like, what's in the bottle? She's like, bacon, and it looked like a fucking science experiment. And <laughs> oh, like, it bacon. just like it, I couldn't. It was just like all shriveled up. It looked like it'd been in there forever. And wow. this was the, a type of bar too that I would never order a mixed drink in to save to save my life. Like you know, if I, I got beer in there, so because it came out of a bottle, <laughs> I mean, the bottle was more sanitary than. Any glass that was in this friggin' bar. So, so what's the grossest? But shit you've ever I couldn't heard? look at it. My point was, I couldn't look at it. Like I just, I was hung over, and I'm looking. Look, oh, I can't see that right now. I'm like, you gotta put something in front of that, or I'm leaving. <laughs> what's the grossest shit you've had? Wow. Uh oh. I mean, I, I drank so much that I really can't remember. Um, well, that means you had a good time. I, yeah. Uh, there was that night. Way, way back, a long time ago, when I had hair, uh, I think somebody bet to drink the bar mat. Whoa. Yeah. No, that shit happens? Yeah, that shit happens. No, that's fucking gross. Yeah. 
It almost came off of the mat. Oh, oh there's... <laughs> Trust me, there's yeah, there's some liquid in there. Yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought that was just a joke. No, it's not. There's people who do it for real. We would play a game. <clears throat> there are several versions, I think, where you'd be going around drawing cards or however, however you're going. Then you know, one of the cards was everybody dumps a little bit of their drink into the center cup. <laughs> and you know, finally, like either the last one of those cards, or there's one card in the deck that if you got that, then you had to drink it, chug it the whole thing um and that was that was not good no no it's never people, good people drinking all of it, everything wine beer liquor um yeah that's when you end up in the hospital or should end up in the hospital yeah or you don't wake up at all yeah, but all your friends are paramedics at that point so <laughs> <laughs> all right so what's the best shit you've ever had is there anything that like, i mean i was just in 2019 before uh the whole COVID thing happened. It was my last trip to Italy. I went there for a work trip. Uh, I went to this, uh, this big expo called Vin Italy. Um, every winemaker in Italy converges on Verona and they just, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's a big wine convention of like every winemaker in Italy. Um, and it's just, it's fantastic. I've drank some amazing wines there. Uh, there's a wine called, uh, uh, Soto. Um, they have a uh, Brunello Montalicino, which is absolutely out of this world. Mm-hmm. Brunello is uh, a place in in, in uh, Montalicino is a place in Tuscany, and the grapes that they're using in this wine are Sangiovese, Sangiovese Grosso. They're the same grapes that are in Chianti, but it just Chianti is a different place, and, uh, and so there's slight differences in them because. Uh, in Europe, and European wines are mostly named after the place where they come from, uh, whereas American wines, the name of the grape varietal is on the bottle. Um, it's starting to change a little bit, but um, that was one of the best things I think I've ever drank in my life. Oh, wow. Good. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I did, uh, this was a very long time ago, I did, uh, was able to uh, get a little bit of an 1982 Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, which I was working in the Plaza Hotel at the time on 59th Street in New York City. Uh, I was closing, I was managing the Oak Bar in the uh, the Oak Room, and there was a couple there that were in earlier one night, and they, for some reason, I don't understand why, left half of a decanter of 1982 Chateau Lafitte Rothschild. Which at that time, this I'm talking. This was the early '90s. Uh, the bottle was uh, like $2,500 on the wine list in wow. in the in the hotel, and I was like, "Holy crap! I can't. Why are you leaving this?" Anyway, make a long story short, this guy who was the maitre d' there, this guy named Fred Christina, he was he was the man he'd been there forever he worked it he started there working as a busboy in 1939 and he left went to world war ii did everything you know came back and worked there all the way through up until the mid mid to late 90s um he was a, a maitre d in the oak room and we used to sit every night in the cohen table the cohen corner george m cohen was a big broadway producer um, and he had his own table there. We used to sit every night when I'm doing the, uh, the registers. I'm, all my staff is giving me their 
their receipts from the night and going making sure that everything's matched up. Fred would sit there in the back. We'd have a little something from the kitchen, and he would tell me stories about meeting like Marilyn Monroe, Burt Lancaster, you know, all these famous celebrities and stars back then. And we, I sat there and I drank that Rothschild with him uh, that night, and that was a real honor because he's he was just a, a a living legend of the of, of the Plaza Hotel, which is the building's still there, but it's not the Plaza Hotel anymore. What is it now? Uh, when I was there, it was actually owned by Trump uh, at the time. Um, Fairmont Hotels came in and bought it afterward. At, after that happened, I think it was around 95, I'm going to say, they came in and took over the hotel. Um, sorry, what was the question again? No, I was just asking you what, what it's called now. Oh, I don't know. I think it's still called a plaza, but it's not a hotel anymore. They've converted it over to residential um, and <clears throat> event spaces. Well, okay. It looks completely different. Um well, parts of the lobby do, but like the the Palm Court is still there, a famous restaurant. Um, the Edwardian Room, I don't think, is still functioning. That was a beautiful room. Uh, really, like just the work and the, the work and the woodworking and the ceiling and everything that they did. It was it was really beautiful, um, and so was the Oak Room. And they just they kind of just you know. The, they took over the hotel and they, they took down these really beautiful murals of, uh, that they've had hanging up in there forever. And they changed a lot of things that just, to me, weren't for the better. That's corporatism for you, though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm going to get fired up a little bit. Uh, Vinny's on my side, by the way. We, we have a lot. Well, you will, too. We have a lot that we agree on. All right. So, first of all, did you get to meet Trump? Yeah, I met him a few times. How was that? All right. Just all right? A few times. Yeah. I, I met him a couple times in Atlantic City because um, a long time ago, I used to work. Hold on, buddy. I got you. Hey, sorry. Uh, I used to work for uh, Trump Castle in Atlantic City. Uh, I valley park cars. You know what I mean? It was a great job for an 18-year-old kid. Uh, uh, but um, I met him. Yeah, I met him a few times. Um not, you know, nothing really stands out for me. Okay. Um, Did you get to meet Ivanka? I met her, yes. She was always around the hotel. Yeah. Um, but then, this is the time now, uh, he was married to Marla Maples. And she used to come in, she used to come in the oak room all the time. I was like, hi, Mrs. Tate. She's like, hi, baby. <laughs> like, you, know, you really you love him You're that much? <laughs> Look at this, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she had a couple of misters on the side. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, oh, thank you. Thank you for the kisses. Um, oh, but you know, by the way, we should probably introduce Rocco. I met, yeah, this is Rocco. Yeah, that's Rocco, 13 year old Jack Russell. And he's the star of the show. Yeah, well, you know, he found he found the other star of the show there, and he's like, "Oh, this guy's gonna massage me all night." I will, I will keep petting you. So okay, so you went from yeah. wine, then you went to puppies, which I mean, come on, you're making us look bad. I was always <laughs> into dogs, man. You know, uh, yeah, um, I bartended for a really long time. Um, 
I, uh, I, I traveled a lot. And um, now, now you're interested in uh, maybe starting up a podcast. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking about it. I, you know, I got some stuff to say. <laughs> what, what, what are you thinking about? What, what comes to the top of your head when you say you got some stuff to say? Uh, you know, just about everyday life, you know, um, things that people are going through. And, you know, if I can help somebody, you know, deal with that a little bit, if they can, you know, when I hear people talk or inspirational people, um, they're not even, they're not even trying to be inspirate, you know, inspirational. Does it, you understand what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. when you hear people talk, you, you pick up ideas. I think what you guys are doing here is fantastic. Like it's just a, a free flow of really, you know, of ideas, just good, healthy conversation. Um, but when I talk about stuff that I, you know, I would love to talk about movies. I love to talk about, you know, politics. Um, I love to talk about, you know, current, you know, whatever's going on, current events. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think I can converse on mostly any level, almost on any subject. I'm a huge Roman history geek. Um, You're truly Italian, my friend. No Greek mythology or anything like that. Well, yeah, that too. Oh, that Let me too. Let okay. me say everything. <laughs> I'm just wondering. Um, yeah, actually, and but the problem is, you told me earlier, you're not paying attention to the Jets. No, I haven't been. I haven't been paying attention to the NFL in general for a while, and that's, that's not any political statement. I just haven't been into football. Um, yeah. I, uh, you, you start know, paying attention. I'm, to a, I'm a Yankee fan, um, yeah. and I really haven't even paid attention to that too much over the past couple of years. Well, COVID nineteen really disrupted. Uh, you know, COVID nineteen screwed up everything, but like, oh my god, it was at one point in time every major sport was on TV. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. but. Uh, was it August? I think every single sport was on TV. Usually, that's like one of the deadest months out of the year for for sports. Hey, COVID nineteen was good for the Florida teams. California and New York had their problems with COVID. The Florida teams: basketball, hockey, football, baseball. Yeah. Hey, the Marlins, oh, all. the Rays. We made, we made it in all of them. Yeah, oh, like all the, the teams. Oh, I thought you meant. De- I thought you were talking about like dealing with the virus. Like the Marlins, no, <laughs> the whole no. team was down with the freaking virus. No, no. Well, I mean, that's how you win. You guys, yeah, we won the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. We and Go that Rays. was the only one that, that was delighted. Well, I know, but I'm just okay. shooting. I'm not a hockey runners man. up, runners up in baseball mm-hmm. in the World Series. Um, thank you. And now the Bucks are in the Super Bowl. Runners and runners up in basketball. That's right. Oh, Miami Heat. Oh, man, the Heat were oh, fucking phenomenal. You know what they Crazy. With Butler. I mean, they did shit that they, nobody expected them to be in that championship. And they went against the Lakers, who pretty much looked unstoppable right now. But yeah. I mean, they the were Heat. To win. Man, kudos. So Florida, you know, Florida did a good job this year. Keep it up. Yay, Florida. Florida. Yeah, right. Huh? <laughs> Yay, Florida. Yeah, right. So, are you going to go back and pay attention to football if uh, Deshaun Watson signs with the Jets? I will pay attention if he signs with the Jets. Because all of a sudden the Jets are a little relevant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, it's you know, that old saying, you know what Jets stands for? J E T S? Just end the season. <laughs> I was like, you know what? We're going for a perfect season this year. And we couldn't even do that right. Like, we couldn't even keep a losing record throughout the whole yeah. season to get, to get a top number one draft pick. I'm sorry, man. That, that's tough. And I'm not sure if Sam Darnold is. They even fired a coach because he, he <laughs> threw a game. <laughs> <laughs> well, in all fairness, you know, being down here watching the, the Dolphins, Adam Gase, I don't know if Adam Gase was the answer for anybody. 
They, I, he, he said that they fired one coach. I just thought of it because they they threw the game. Right? <laughs> Basically, right. threw the when game. they played the, yeah. the Raiders. Yeah. Um, they they gave up a last second touchdown uh, by calling an all out blitz, and they just dumped it over the top on. And then they fired Gase for winning two games <laughs> at the yeah. end of the season. Well, come on, man! Okay. If you're gonna if you're gonna suck, you might. Yeah, I agree. You gotta suck at the highest level. At the highest level, because the number one prize is Trevor Lawrence. He's considered a generational quarterback. But if they pull off Deshaun Watson, then hey. You know, I mean, they got Saleh. I think that's how you say his name, right? Uh, I think it's Saleh. The only thing that Jets have, I think there's only one team that the Jets can look down mm-hmm. at, and it's maybe the Browns. Oh, no, <laughs> the Browns are looking pretty good this year. <laughs> no. No, the Browns are good this year. Really? Yeah. Well, because you weren't paying attention. The playoffs. They, yeah, they, they, they barely lost. In the playoffs. Okay. Barely lost against Kansas City. Yeah. They gave Kansas City a run for their money, more so than the, the Bills. They did. They did. It's yeah. true. The Browns are on up and up. The Jets. Uh, I'm trying to think of a team that's possibly more pathetic. Um, Jags. Jacksonville was bad. Jacksonville was bad. They were bad, but they also had flashes of, of light. Um, they did, but I, and even in recent years, they've been they were decent. They have good players, and they can they can win games. And then once they start winning, they say, "Oh, gotta trade this guy. Gotta trade that guy. Let's get rid of him." Mm-hmm. And so the Jets, you know. They're struggling, but the Jags suck because they're just purposely giving away talent, you know. And they're purposely they're pur- they purposely tank, in my opinion. Well, you know what a lot they of teams do? Are they needing cash? I'm sorry. Is the team needing cash? I don't know. I don't know what it is. They're, they're talking about how this player is disruptive. We got to get rid of them, and the apparently from a lot of the players when they leave, they're complaining that management sucks. The coaching staff sucks. Management sucks. They can't get anything done. That's what's going on in Houston right now, too. That's what everybody's saying about Houston for for the last few years. Everybody's coming out saying how terrible the management and ownership is. Um, Well, Deshaun's just saying, listen, man, make me a part of the hiring process. At least, I mean, that that was part of it. He also wanted to be, he he was upset that they got rid of his receiver, uh, his buddy Hopkins. Um, But at, at some point, though, Really? Like, does, are the players really supposed to be a part of the hiring process? I mean, first of all, management should be good enough to do it. And if they're yeah. inept, then turn them, you know, get rid of them and get managers that can manage properly. I don't know if I think that the players so much should be a part of the, the hiring process. The inmates should not be running the asylum. The quarterback, <laughs> the quarterback might get a little knock. At least might want to talk to him and say, hey, we're going to get rid of Hopkins. And then I'd be like, no, don't do that. He's the number one receiver right. in the league, right. let alone on the team. Plus, they go back to college together. Like, that was a big deal. Yeah, and Watson's defense. Yeah, exactly. He's playing with a guy that he played with in college, who he knows yeah. is a baller. They'll catch anything in his radius. At the same time, though, to bring in a new offensive coordinator and or head coach, he, yeah, he's, he's pissed he's, off that the GM might run this team like Bill O'Brien did with the Patriot way. And he's just, it didn't work. He wants to move on. And also, he wants to see a more um, equitable interviewing process of other coaches, i.e. black coaches, like uh, Benemy from Kansas City. Nobody gave that guy an opportunity. They interviewed him, but they, didn't, they just passed, passed up on him mm-hmm. for whatever reason. So mm-hmm. I think Watson's coming at it from multiple perspectives. And at this point, he says, you know what? 
you took Hopkins away from me. You, first of all, everybody told me that I wasn't going to be a top prospect in this league, and I proved them wrong. And then you, you bring in, you, you get rid of what Hopkins, and then you bring in a GM that, that's going to run the same system that Bill O'Brien did. Come on. So I think he just wants to go to a team that he has more faith in. Yeah, I don't blame Hopkins. Um, for, for, or no, I'm sorry, not Hopkins, uh, Watson. But you look at the other teams, like guys from the Jets have done it. They've complained and, and accused the, the coaches, the management, the Jaguars have done it. They've, they've, all, they've done that too. So it, it is something that seems to be a trend in the league about the players upset with management. And, and I, don't, I don't like that. I really, I really don't like that so much. Um, but what I will also say, I wanted to point out earlier, is that a lot of teams, small market teams, uh, like the Marlins, have done it over and over and over. Jaguars seem like they've done it. Um, they, they get players young, they get them cheap. These players turn to be good players, so then the owner will sell them off. And then the owner makes big bucks, and he's using this. He's just, they're basically just using the team to make money. They're not, they don't care if they win. Right. They don't care if they buy championships. They don't care about the fan base other than the fan base buying and you know buying stuff, coming to games. Not even so much. Just buy the products. But they give, they make money off of the players. So they're almost they're they're like a far, like they said the farm team. They're growing and raising players and then selling them to make money off of the people. Right. So that's really what I think is happening with a lot of these smaller teams, that, like Jaguars. And, and and this is a part of the conversation that pisses me off because I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, the kneeling thing bothered me, so I don't want to watch football anymore. I'm tired of, I know, right? And they're like, I'm tired of the politics and, foot, and, and, and sports. Like LeBron James just dribbled a fucking basketball. Like he's a goddamn person. Exactly. He, he can't express an opinion. You're an accountant at a fucking job. Laura Ingram, you're a fucking uh, uh, journalist, so-called journalist, opinion journalist, or uh, TV personality, really. Shut the fuck up and talk. You know what I mean? Why are you involved in politics? He's a fucking person. He has a right to express his opinion. Who cares? Just because they have that? a bigger platform than you to say what they want to say doesn't mean they shouldn't be able to say it. Exactly right. Uh, I mean, the, that's it's been that way. <laughs> I mean, you... I feel you look at you. You look at people. They say, "Well, money shouldn't equal speech," and I agree, money shouldn't equal speech. But guess what? Money is equaling speech these days. Right now, yeah, exactly. And so, yes, these guys have a certain position. They have a certain status. Uh, they have, they should be able to, like anybody else, to express their belief, whether you agree with it or not. And that's that's the the whole thing. Why I think this podcasts like this are really good is because people have lost. I think people don't listen to people. the The conversation is gone. They and lost that's, perspective, they and that's what yeah. that's what you need. That's what things platforms like this are able to do. Are able to give a good uh, perspective on what on, on what's out there. But you know, Vinny, the problem is a lot of people don't listen either. They just kind of no. They wait for their they wait for their turn to talk. Right. People, like, you could, like you could be talking to me, blah 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 blah, and you know what? Someone might not listen. Like might, might not listen to you. They'll just be like, okay, I have an idea. I, I want to say this to him. I want to say this to him. I want to say this to him. And not listening to whatever you're saying, and they just waiting for a break for them to add in whatever they want to say. That's right. I just did that. <laughs> that's what I. That's what I was doing. I kept going. I kept running on. No, you're right though, because like. All right, let's just go back a second, okay? LeBron leaves Cleveland the first time, right? The fucking fans of, like, Ohio burned his damn jersey. Yeah. And he basically said, I'm leaving because I want to go to an organization and Pat Riley where I can learn to win. 
and play with my friends. He wants to play with friends of his, like like good, like strong friends, people that are part of his family, and Chris Bosch and you know Dwayne Wade. He wins in Miami, and then he goes back to Cleveland. Everybody's happy, great. He leaves them again. Okay, but but after he's won in Cleveland. Well, well, here we'll go back a little bit. They go to a championship against the uh, um, Golden State. Golden State beats them. He comes back home to see somebody wrote on his fucking gate the N-word. Called him a nigger. You know? And they're fucking talking shit about him in his hometown, in his home state, where they should love him. I didn't hear that. Really? Yeah, they actually, yeah, they did. He came home to see him this word on his gate. His children probably saw it too. And he thought to himself, and he came out and he said this, uh, and in a couple of interviews I've heard, he said that's when he realized, and it was right around the same time that Trayvon Martin happened, that's when he realized that no matter how successful he was, no matter how wealthy he was, he was just another black man in America. Yeah. Period. And when Trayvon Martin happened, and uh, what's that guy's name? I can't fucking remember his name. George Zimmerman? Zimmerman. Yeah. Zimmerman got off. He said that, was, that could have been my kid. Mm-hmm. My kid could have been shot and killed. And just brushed aside like that. And that's when he started speaking out. He basically is telling you, I've had enough of all this bullshit. I'm leaving to go to L.A. because I want to go somewhere that's good for my kids and somewhere where they're not going to call me a nigger. In my hometown. Like, I can't fucking believe that. And you're going to get pissed with him because he's he wants to go to a place that's better for him and his family? It makes no sense. Kaepernick comes out, right? Kaepernick says... This is what he says. I'm kneeling to protest against a country who has practiced injustice against the black population for police brutality. That's what he knelt down for. President Trump comes out and says he hates veterans. He consulted a veteran to about what to do. About uh, uh, Kaepernick, from my understanding, consulted a veteran about, hey, look. I want to do like a little protest. It would would it be? How would you feel about kneeling? You think it's disrespecting the flag, kneeling? And he told him no. Right. Well, a lot of them said, "Listen, we we purposely fought for your right to do to be this. able to do that." Exactly. It's like take flag burning. People mm-hmm. burn American flags, which I don't I don't believe in in any way, shape, or form. I don't think you should burn the flag. But it we is burn this flag after this podcast. <laughs> no, we're not. We don't have so this Florida, you ain't burning no flag. Uh, no, but it, it is a form of protest, and people, oh, people die for that flag. No, they didn't die for the flag. They died for what the flag represents, which is right. their right to burn it. You know what I mean? Their right to criticize their government. And but I, you know, I would personally, I would find another way to do that. Sure, but if you you're know, Native American, or if you're black, or if you're Asian, yeah, are you? Are you happy with what this flag represents? The genocide against Native Americans? The slavery of black individuals? I mean, are, are you happy? I mean, you forget Asians weren't allowed to own property until like the 40s or 50s. Dude, Japanese internment camps, yeah. right? When, when, the, when World War II happened, people who were living here their whole lives yeah, and got, thrown in the, got thrown into camps because, right. because they were Asian, because and, they were Japanese. And white people are like, come on, have some fucking respect. Listen, the point is, is that Kaepernick originally said, I'm kneeling to protest against police brutality. Nobody listened to him. Nobody heard what he said. No. Trump came out and turned it around and said he's doing it to protest the military, the veterans. 
And then all of a sudden, people are revolting against Kaepernick. And I'm not saying he's a great quarterback. I'm not saying that he should play. I'm just saying that the message got fucking muddled up because the president came out and misrepresented what well, he was doing. Well, it got muddled up by, you know, I think it was more than just the president. I think it was just, every, you know, everyone, you know, you, you get all the pundits on TV and radio chiming sure. in. You know, you you get... Uh, but who has the biggest loudspeaker? Of course. I mean, the president comes out and he tweets it and he says it. But and then you have Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity who reverberate that. They're just, you know... But, I, I, mean, I think Trump got his talking points from from Hannity and from and from sure. Ingram. But you know, I, mean, I don't even is, think he had an original idea in his head. The so, point is that people that got upset with Kaepernick and got upset with football players for kneeling and protesting against police brutality didn't understand what these athletes were kneeling for, and they were they were basically blaming these 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 players for something that the president made up. And you go back to Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali. He came out and said it. He said, "Why am I going to fight for a country that kills my that kills my brother, rapes my sister, lynches my father, and burns a cross mm-hmm. on my on my lawn? Yeah. A Viet Cong never never raped me, never hung me, never lynched me. Mm-hmm. I can completely fucking understand that. Yeah. And and also, do you know how flag burning started back in the sixties? Back or I think it was like early sixties. I heard the story on Bill Maher. So I, you know, forgive me if I get it wrong." But apparently there was a uh, there was a child who went to school. They had just desegregated um, some of the high schools or colleges. And this child, this black child, goes to school. Okay, I want to say he went to a college or a high school. I can't remember. And he was shot and killed that day. And this black individual on the street corner wanted to shout out that. The uh, idealism of America has basically failed today. The attributes that we give to America have just crumbled. And he's yelling this out, and nobody's paying attention. And you got to remember, back then, there's no social media. There's no – they just had news and, and paper. That's all they had. So what did he do to get some attention? He burned the fucking flag. All of a sudden, TV the networks were interviewing him and talking to him. And guess what? He got arrested and went to jail for, 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 for burning the flag. And his court case went all the way to the Supreme Court where they ruled that flag burning was a form of speech. He was cleared for freedom of speech. But that's how it came about. He burned the flag to get someone's fucking attention of why the black population is pissed off because they can't go to school Mm. without getting shot. I think that's pretty fucking sobering. In, in my opinion. It's very sobering. I didn't realize this was uh, a buddy of mine um, back in, it was like 04, 05, uh, was, uh, was dating a black girl. He's a white guy. He was dating a black girl. And she was from Arkansas. And, you know, she, she was living in New York now. And she was telling, like, it, it dawn, didn't dawn on me that, you know, she's like, yeah, in my town back home, there's still a black prom and a white prom. I was like, What? She's like, yeah. I was like, are you like, how's that possible? She's like, yeah. There's still a black prom and a white prom in the high school there where she where she grew up. How long? And this was that? this was in two thousand four, two thousand five. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, what? that's what I was like. I was like, are you kidding me? She's like, no. That's fucking insane. Yeah. Man. I mean, there's there are still some places on this planet where races don't mix, man. People don't, you know. Well, those honkies in, in Alabama don't know what a you know a black prom is like. They could, they got the best music and the best dancing. So you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, 
I was just, it threw, like, it just, it took me, uh, you know, a while to, to grasp it because, wow, it made me think I'm this privileged, maybe Northeasterner, you know what I mean, who doesn't understand that there's there's another world out there that's not like not like New York, you know, not like New York. You're a it, privileged white man who has toxic masculinity. Exactly. <laughs> no, but no, but you, but you want to understand. You know what I'm trying to make. It's basically yeah, that you know, it's like, wow. I mean, I've been living in a bubble. Didn't realize stuff like this was still going on. That's complete, and that's the problem. Is I think most most people live in a fucking bubble and they don't know that shit like this still goes on. That's the problem. And how do we fix it? How do we fix it? Well. I have always said that, you know, uh, <laughs> now with the last few weeks notwithstanding, <laughs> but Americans ain't going to get up off their butt to protest anything until they don't have 200 channels of cable and get a cheeseburger delivered. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know, uh, hey, they're going to take away your Social Security and, you know, take away all the things that we fought for all these years. You want to come down and protest? Nah, the Bachelorette's on. I'm gonna sit here and watch this. You know, like, what the? Yeah. F- like, nah, there's a game on tonight. I'm just gonna sit home and watch this. You know, it, right? I, you know. I think that shit is there for a reason too. I think all that garbage on television is there to distract people from what really is going on. And I think for the majority, Vinny, I think the majority of people in this country they have more in common than they do that divides them. Of course. The problem is they're being divided, and they can't fucking realize what they have in common. Can't see the forest but for the trees, man. Right. Poor black people and poor white people are in the same fucking boat. They're getting fucking screwed by the wealthy corporations. In anything in life, I think, you know, you want to find the truth to anything, follow the money. Yeah, I agree. Follow the money. You want to know – you, and this is one thing that it kind of gets on my nerves about. Like when I, when I listen to talk shows, whether they be – there you go, buddy. Well, they listen to talk shows, whether they be like on uh, MSNBC, you know, Bill Maher, whether it be, you know, Sean Hannity, Ingram, whoever, like Rush Limbaugh. No one, they all talk about the problems and tell you who to blame, but I don't think they really hit the nail on the head because no one's saying, hey, look, you got a problem with, you know, with uh, big oil or whatever, follow the money, see who they're contributing money to. Right. You got a problem with, you know, the, the drug war. Follow the money. See who's making the money off the prohibition of drugs. See, it's, see it's where the both money sides. Follow the money in anything. Well, I don't care if you're friggin', you know, lobbying for tomato farm growers. You know what I mean? See who they're – follow the money. You want to find out the truth to any issue, anything that's out there, always follow the money. Follow, following the money will will lead you to the truth. Yeah, I totally agree. Um the, the fact of the matter is, but people are distracted. People are have busy lives. They yeah. don't have time to fucking follow all this bullshit. And they're all polarized, or they're all like uh, dogmatic about a Democrat or Republican. And that's just bullshit. Everybody's for low income housing as long as it's not on their block. Right, right. <laughs> you know, everybody's for the recycle waste treatment plant as long as it's not on their block. I mean, you know, so it's basically people know what they know. They know their little piece of earth or whatever that, that, that they only call their home and hey you know I take care of mine you know the, the rest of it, I don't know who's that up to I, I just I see so many fucking problems and the first thing I, I think is uh, I was listening to Tulsi Gabbard uh, the other day on Rogan's podcast and I've listened to her you know, I don't know that much about her 
Well, she's a hot Hawaiian chick, you know. um, And I was looking at that today, and and I wish you would have said that earlier because I said, oh, Tulsi Gabbard, that that might be interesting. Oh, The Undertaker. All right, there we go. (laughs) Let's listen to The Undertaker. The Undertaker pulls you in. (laughs) Forget about the fucking problems of the world. Well, Tulsi, Tulsi had a problem where she went into Congress She's a, a, she's a part of the military. She's a veteran. She comes into Congress wanting to do some good, just like everybody else. She's like, right. Mrs. Smith goes to Washington. And the Democrats, like, divide themselves up into cliques, and so do the Republicans. She says, oh, this is like a fucking high school. This is a high school. She gives, like, Boehner a high five for doing yoga, which I really wouldn't want to see that anyway. Can you imagine him crying? They're in, like, a, you know, upper dog. Uh, well, anyway, um... She gives him a high five, and apparently, like some of the Democrats are snickering about why about her talking to the Republicans. Like, it's just bullshit, and that's what she's calling out. She just it's just bullshit. But she can't be take a, a congressional seat unless she's a Democrat or Republican, and she's basically advocating for the return of the fairness doctrine. Have you have you heard of this fairness doctrine? I think we've talked about this before. We probably have, but um, I probably know it. I'm just not remembering as the fairness doctrine. Okay, so... Uh, enlighten, yeah, enlighten me. Because yeah, back in like the... Uh, I want to say it was like the early 1900s or the late 1800s. We, we all forget how journalism was treated. Um, you know, Quincy... John Quincy Adams had you know, journalists arrested and put in jail and prison and whatnot for writing scathing articles about him. And so in the late 1800s and the 1900s, uh, the Congress passed a bill called the Fairness Doctrine. And what it did was it, it forced media... And at the time, you're talking about papers and... and uh, Town crier... Tom Cryer, you know, right, um, which led to eventually, like, net, you know, cable news and network TV. Um, it forced them that if they're going to talk about a political situation, they have to talk about it from both sides. They cannot talk about just one side. They cannot provide just opinion. And now they're also held at a higher standard for libel and slander. So it, it forced them oh, yeah. to be honest. That's what it did. It forced them to be honest. Well, guess what? Nixon is, Nixon is president. Roger Ailes is a, is a part of his cabinet, mm-hmm. okay? Cheney's a part of the cabinet as well. He's low, 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 totem pole. Roger Ailes is trying to push Nixon to basically repeal the fair, the fairness doctrine, but doesn't happen because Nixon, you know, resigns from office. For and him. who was on the Creek Committee? Oh, uh, go ahead. Roger Stone. Roger, Roger Stone, Stone was yeah, that fucking asshole. But anyway, I mean, you gotta, you got to hand it to him. The guy is, he is, yeah. he is brilliant. I mean, but anyway... 2000s come, Cheney's now in a position of great power as a vice president, right? With George W. Bush, who, if you give him a rattle, you know, he gives him hours. <laughs> so Cheney, you know, works with Congress to basically rever- to repeal the Fairness Doctrine. Now, you know, you look back then, remember in the 90s? Did you have a Sean Hannity? Did you have a, a Como? Did you have a Donald? They, there weren't so much opinion news back then. Yeah. Since then, you see opinion news, opinion news, opinion news. And now people don't trust the fucking media for the last 20 years. You can't trust it. Well, with the advent of cable news, there's more outlets and uh, streaming news. Not even just cable news. Wow, I dated myself saying cable. Um, but the streaming news, there's a, lot, there's a lot more avenues out there. Uh, to hear to hear from, but they're basically either 
all liberal or they're all conservative. It's very hard to find something that's you know just tries to cut through and get to the and get to the root of every issue. Um, but I mean, going back to what uh, a little bit what I was saying before is that it's all about the money, and if you want to find out the truth of something, you want to find out who's truthful, find out, or your, who your politicians are up to, find out who's contributing the most money to their campaigns, and that's who they're going to be loyal to. Well, and that's that, exactly why they donate to both sides, right? Yeah. They donate to both sides, because in the end, what they want is they want the vision, they want the status quo, so they can make line their pockets and not get shit done. There's still a lot of people making money from the status quo. You know, it's like with the prohibition of drugs. Right. There's so much money in the criminal justice system and, uh, you know, for lawyers, for pol uh, police and township budgets, uh, federal budgets, everything. Uh, you know, from the Border Patrol all the way through to the Coast Guard, there's a lot of money that gets uh, private, the private prison system. Uh, you know, it's all a revolving around without Without the drugs, you know what I mean? If, you, if they legalize drugs, where's that money coming from now? Right, exactly. You know, okay, so I, I forgot to do this earlier. I just pulled it up on, on my computer here. I wanted to uh, read the Farrell Address written by uh, George Washington. Have you ever read it or anything? Uh, no, I have heard it because I, I've heard, like, I've watched it, you know, in, uh, in film. I think it was... Uh, I don't know if it wasn't John Adams. Uh, they, they, uh, they did it, but no, I've never read it myself. So it's, it's pretty hefty. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. I'm like, uh, I don't want to read the whole thing um, and bore people out. But uh, it was read for 100 years in the school systems. Annually, it was read to, our, 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 to the school children until about the early 1900s when it was you know, clipped. So I kind of want to read it and then uh, get your thoughts on this. And I think, it, I think this is important. It says, Farewell Address in 1796. Okay? Friends and citizens, the period of a new election of a citizen to administer the executive government of the United States being not far distant and the time actually arrived when your thoughts must be employed in designating the person who is to be clothed with that important trust, it appears to be, to me, proper, especially it may induce, I'm sorry, especially as it may conduce to a more distinct expression of the public voice that I should now apprise you of the resolution I have reformed to decline being considered among the number of those out of whom a choice is to be made. I beg to you, at the same time, to do me justice to be assured that this resolution has not been taken without a strict regard to all the considerations appertaining to the relations that which bind a dutiful citizen to this country, and that in withdrawing the tender of service with silence which silence in my situation might apply, I might influence by no diminution of zeal for our future interest, no deficiency of grateful respect for your past kindness, but I support it by a full conviction that the step is compatible with both. The acceptance of and continuance here thereto in the office in which your suffrage have twice called me have been a uniform sacrifice of inclination to the question of duty and to a deference for what appeared to be your desire. I constantly hope that it would have been much earlier in my power, consistently with motive, which I was not at liberty to disregard, to, re to return to that retirement from which I had been reluctantly drawn. The strength of my inclination to do this, previous to the last election, 
and even led to the preparation of an address to declare to you, but mature reflection on them perplexed and critical posture of our affairs with foreign nations and unanimous advice of persons entitled to my confidence compelled me to abandon the idea. I rejoiced that the state of your concerns, external as well as internal, no longer rendered the pursuit of inclination incompatible with the sentimental the sentiment of duty of, of property and persuaded whatever partially might may be retained to my services that in the present circumstances of our country you will not disapprove my determination to retire. The impressions with which I first undertook the arduous trust works were explained on the proper occasion and the discharge of this trust. I will only say that I have, with good intentions, contrib contributed towards the organization and administration of the government, the best exertions of which a very fallible judge judgment was capable. Not unconscious in the outset of this inferiority of my qualifications, experience in my own eyes, perhaps still more in the eyes of others, has strengthened the motives to difference of myself. And every day the increasing weight of years admonishes me more and more in the shade of retirement as it's necessary to me, as it will welcome as it will be welcomed. Satisfied that if at any circumstances have given peculiar value to my services, they were temporary, I have the consolation to believe that, while choice and prudence invite me to give the political scene, patriotism does not forbid it. And looking forward to the moment which is intended to terminate the career of my public life, my feelings do not permit me to suspend the deep acknowledgement of that debt of gratitude which I owe to my beloved country for the many honors it has conferred upon me, still more the steadfast confidence with which it was supported me, and for the opportunities I have thence enjoyed of manifesting my inviolable attachment by services faithful and persevering, though in usefulness unequal to my zeal. If benefits have resulted in our country from these services, let it always be sometimes dubious vicissitudes of fortune, often discouraging, discouraging in situations in which not frequently a want of success has counter-nuanced the spirit of criticism. The, the, con, the, no, sorry. the constancy of your support was unceasing vows that haven't that heaven may continue to you the choice tokens of the benevolence, that your union and brother affection may be perpetual, and that the freedom of the Constitution, which is the work of your hands, may be sacrificed, maintained in its administration, and every departure may be stamped with wisdom and virtue, that mm -hmm. in fine the happiness of the people of these states, under the auspices of liberty, may be made completely by so careful a preservation, so prudent a use of this blessing as will acquire to them the glory of recommending it to the applause, the affection, and the adoption of every nation which is yet a stranger to it. Here perhaps I ought to stop, but the solitude of your welfare, which cannot end but with my life, and the apprehension of danger natural to that solicitude, urge me, urge me on an occasion like the present to offer your solemn contemplation and to recommend to your frequent review some sentiments which are the result of my reflection, of no inconsiderable observation and which appear to me all important in the permanency of your felicity as a, as a people, this would be offered to you with the more freedom as you can only see in them the disinterested warnings of a parting friend who can possibly have no personal motive to bias his counsel. Nor can I forget, as an encouragement to it, your indulgent reception of my sentiments on a former and not dissimilar occasion. Interwoven as is the love of liberty 
with every ligament of your heart. No recommendation of mine is necessary to fortify, to confirm the attachment. The unity of government which constitutes you one people is also now dear to, to you. It is justified so. It is justly so, for it is the main pillar in the edifice of your real independence, the support of your tranquility, at home your peace abroad, of your safety, of your prosperity, of that very liberty which you so highly prize. But as it is easy to foresee that, from different causes and from different quarters, much pains will be taken, many artifices employed to weaken your minds the conviction of his truth. At this is a point in your political fortress against which the batteries of internal and external enemies will be most constantly and actively, though often convert, covertly and insidiously directed. It is the infinite. Sorry about that. It is the infinite moment that you should properly estimate the immense value of your national union to your collective and individual happiness, that you could cherish a cordial, habitual, and immovable attachment to it, accustoming yourself to think and speak or speak of it as the palladium of your political safety and prosperity, watching for its preservation with jealousy, anxiety, discontinuancing, whatever may suggest even a suspicion that it can any event be abandoned, and indignity frowning upon the first dawning of every attempt to alienate any portion of our country from the rest, or to enfeeble the, the sacred ties which link together the various parts. For this you have Every inducement of sympathy and interest, citizens by birth of choice or a common country, that country has a right to concentrate your affections. The name of American, which belongs to you in your national capacity, must always exalt a just pride of patriotism more than any appellation derived from the local discriminations. With slight shades of differences, you have the same religion, manners, habits, and political principles you have in a common, in common cause, fought and triumphed together. The independence and liberty you possess are the work of joint councils and joint efforts of common dangers, sufferings, and successes. Told you, this is long. Yeah. But these considerations, however powerfully they address themselves to our, your sensibility, are greatly outweighed by those which are applied more immediately to your interests. How every portion of our country finds the most commanding motives for a careful guarding and preserving the union of the whole. The North, in an unrestrained intercourse with the South, protected by equal laws of a common government, finds the productions of the latter great additional resources of maritime and commercial enterprises and precious materials of manufacturing and industry. The South, in the same intercourse, benefiting by the agency of the North, see its agriculture grow and its commerce expand, turning partly into its own channels. The seamen of the North, it finds its particular navigation invigorated, and while it contributes in different ways, to nourish and increase the general progression, improvement interior communications by land and waste, will more and more find a valuable vent for the commodities which it brings from abroad or manufacturing at home. The West derives from the East supplies requisite to its growth and comfort, and what is perhaps of still greater consequence, it must be necessity owed the secure enjoyment of dispensable outlets for its own productions to the weight, influence, and the future maritime strength of the Atlantic side of the Union, directed by an indissoluble community of interest as one nation. Any other tenure by which the West can hold this essential advantage, whether derived from its own separate strength or from an apostate and unnatural connection with any foreign power, must be intrinsically precarious. It's a lot. In this farewell address, he makes the point that a two-party system is stupid. 
It's crazy because what it's going to do is divide the country and hyper-polarize people. And what people need to recognize is that they're all the same. They're American. And yeah, yeah and the parties are bullshit. He also says, don't get involved in other countries' wars. Don't be involved in other countries' affairs. We were never meant to be an empire. No. It was, that's how, how it was in the, uh, when they first uh, laid it all out. <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> and, I mean, and, and he could have been a monarch, right? If, he was yeah. so popular. But, I mean, before America, you know, and our founding fathers, no one... You know, not since, not that I know of, since Roman times, since, you know, the Greeks before them, the Romans, where there was representational government. You know what I mean? There was, uh, you know, more uh, a parliamentary system in the UK still, but still the king still had sway over, over, right. over everything. And the Greeks introduced democracy, right? But it wasn't a democratic no. republic. But the point that Washington is trying, is trying to tell us, because at the time, he's seeing Alexander Hamilton feud with Thomas Jefferson and Madison, and they're forming their own political parties. He sees nothing but division. Instead of them coming together and compromising with each other and finding the common ground that they both share. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, what are we doing with a two-party system? We need to move up past that, and people need to be elected based on individuality, not based on uh, a religion or on a dogmatic way of thinking or uh, it's extremely difficult to do i mean we're we're pack animals do you know what i mean like you just look at like any any uh, elementary school or high school do you know what i mean it's like everybody goes into their own little cliques and you know it, the same thing happens i guess when you get older and you know you go out into life you get out into the world you know uh, think of Congress or whatever as a as a high school, you know, everybody goes into their own little cliques and who can help me do this and who are the cool kids and who are the, you know, who aren't, you know. Well, I think that's the divide. I think that Washington and his best uh, endeavor tried to share his perspective, but he was a wolf. He was a leader. He wasn't sheep. He wasn't a follower. He was going to do things his way. And he did it with the best advice of those around him, you know? Mm. And I think a lot of our founding fathers were that way. Teddy Roosevelt was that way. I mean, you got to remember at the time he was elected, he was a crazy Republican. He was an extremist. He's the first guy that I know of in any person of power talking about conservation, talking about conserving natural resources. Right. That's uh, the first I've, I've ever heard about any, you know, anybody doing that. He was yeah. a hunter. Oh, yeah. He was a... He, he, that's one of the things. I mean, like, there's duality in people, and there's duality in life. But he you know, wanted to preserve yeah. the environment, but still he, you know, went big game hunting. But he, he, not, only, he not only was a hunter and fought for uh, conser- conservation, he also uh, was the one that started antitrust laws. He's also the one that broke up the banks at the time. If you look at, like, history, if history repeats itself, this time right now in our in our in the present is very similar to the times of the late 1800s and the early 1900s and roosevelt saw this disparity he saw this uh problem with the banks 
investing in politicians and, and politicians passing laws and, and regulation for banks. And so it wasn't until Reagan came along and he stopped using antitrust laws. We haven't used antitrust law successfully in decades. And then you have Bill Clinton, who deregulates the banks at the end of the 90s. And then what happened, you know, 10 years later? You had 2008, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, where the banking industry has to get bailed out because they made a series of bad investments, you know, toxic, um, those are toxic assets, right? And our politicians said, oh, don't worry about it, we'll give you money. Well, it's when they, because they repealed the Glass-Steagall law. Hey, can you go explain that? Glass-Steagall, from my understanding, was the law that uh, separated, uh, like, the bank you go to from investment banks. You know, you know what I mean? Like, there's investment, yeah. there's investment banks, and there's, like, you know, the your bank that you yeah. go to where you have your own stuff. And it uh, it let those, from my understanding, let them combine the assets. Yeah. It, com it combine uh, monies, and so money was just flowing in from everywhere, and it uh, it was one of the things that uh, they put into place after the crash of '29 to stop something like that from ever happening again. Wow. And they repealed it, and wow. that's what allowed a lot of the Things to allow credit default swaps, which were the things that uh, the products that they were selling that bankrupted the system. So, what do you think about these politicians who can trade stocks and buy stocks? No, it's complete bullshit. I during mean, and after hours, you and get elected to a job that pays you eighty or hundred grand a year or something like that as a congressman, senator, or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and then but you've got. You know, after a year or two in office, you've got five, ten million dollars in the bank. Right. How the fuck does that happen? They get perks for life. They get a decent salary. Yeah. And they're committing insider trader. I mean, trading fraud. I mean, that's basically why you become a politician. You don't go to the politics to help people. You go into politics to commit insider trading violations, so you can amass a certain amount of wealth and ensure that your family's taken care of. You know, we were talking about this in the clinic the other day, not with patients. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and, and the, the argument was, uh, we'll go back to that football analogy. Knowing what you know about football now, would you sacrifice your health and shorten your lifespan to ensure generational wealth with your family? Uh, As a football yeah, I, player. I would. I had to say that I would. But then again, I think my only problem with that analogy is is that a football player, what he's doing out there is only impacting pretty much his, I mean, the, it's, the repercussions that are pretty much only impacting him or some immediate members of his family. Well, I got something. I got well, the, the, but the politician, you know, sacrificing to go or not, whatever, going in and doing all that shit to get right. the money for it, to build up that financial stability is impacting Millions of people's lives across this country. Well, I got another one. I'm going to ask you. Uh, what, what, what do you think? Do you follow what I'm what saying? You do? I see what you're saying. Yeah, there, I, I see the difference there between the two positions. Um, I mean, it's a tough question. I heard you talking about it, and I didn't. Uh, I, I wasn't aware what the life expectancy was for an NFL player. Well, it depends. If you're like an offensive lineman, you got maybe like lineman. around about six years, seven years, maybe for like if it's, it's if like you're an NFL player. I think if you're an offensive lineman or offensive uh, defensive lineman, 
I think the average lifespan is like forty nine fifty, somewhere around there. So oh, you, I thought you meant the lifespan of your career. career. And the life expectancy ranges from 53 to 59 years old. Um, average football player is position dependent. Um, the more you get cracked in the head, obviously, the, yeah. the, the longer, the less, the, 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 the shortest, shorter your life's going to be. But still, for an average to be in the 50s, to not even be 60 years old, that that's not, that's not old. That's, no, you know, you're, you're looking at your last few years here. No, 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 no. no. He look, he's, a, he's in his thirties. Yes. <laughs> okay. So are we all. But <laughs> okay. again, I mean, we're still, you know, we're in the second half. Then anyway, at least. But yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but but you're gonna but you're gonna tell me as like a 21, 22 year old guy coming out of college, like, hey, we're gonna pay you. This amount of money to go play the game you've been playing since you were a kid. Yeah. Yeah. What tomorrow? What are you talking about? Twenty years from now? Get the hell out of here! I'm going to make the money yeah, now. Twenty-two years. Those old. girls over there want to sleep with me if I'm a football player. Yes, I'm going to take the yeah. money now. It's extremely people, difficult decision. For people get pissed off. That doesn't have the introspection to 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 actually put a. a Decent amount of thought behind it. Well, the brain's not fully formed. I mean, we can sit here and think about it, and well, yeah, it's kind of like like, we don't. We're thinking a little bit differently. And you're 20 years old. You're invincible. You're 20 years old. They're like, we want you to smash yourself until you're retarded. We'll give you a couple million. Do you do it? Yeah, I'm going to be 50 this summer. My brain's still not fully formed. (laughs) (laughs) See, I think I would do it as well, and I think I would do it because. I grew up in poverty and, and through the system and such. So I'm thinking about the betterment of my, you know, it's a sacrifice I'm, I'm willing to make, but I can understand people's uh, hesitancy with it. Now, let's flip that around. You um, are elected to office as a politician. They come to you and they say, hey, Vinny, we're going we're gonna to give you a lot of money if you play ball. All yeah. right? But you just got to sell your soul. Or... You know, you resist us, you're going to be out at the next turn. And you're not going to get it done. What do you do? No, me right now? No, I don't do I don't do it because, I mean, I know it's easy for me to say right now, but no. Because I, you know, I believe if you go into politics, you are a servant. You should be serving the people and not looking out for your own personal interests, number one. Number two, the way I was brought up and the way uh, I believe in is that, you know, you don't, you be a person of your word, you sure. know, you, you, especially when you're, you're doing a job, like I said before, that impacts millions of lives. All right. Your decision that you're going to make in your office, in the Capitol or whatever it is, the decisions that you make have ripple effects that we can't even comprehend right now. I mean, like you could be, I don't know, signing a transportation bill that you want to get put before the house. And if it gets passed, the ripple effects of that bill that are going to ripple throughout the country, and you can't even see what the full effect of what it's going to be. You see the good intentions that you have in there, but you don't know everything that's going to happen. You know what I mean? If this bill affects gas prices, it affects someone's job. You know, if it if this affects someone that has nothing to do with it, it just affects their access to transportation to be able to get to a job that has nothing to do with it. Do you understand? Yeah, I got you. 
Mm-hmm. What about you? What about you? Do you sell your soul or you uh, stay innocent and pure? I, I don't think I want to go anywhere near the politics. I, I don't want to go into it myself. I don't even want to get in that situation. Um, That's a political answer. He's being bureaucratic <laughs> over there. Um, I, well, I, I, because I don't want to have to face that decision, first of all. I mean, yeah, money would be great and or like set myself up, set my family up for life. That's great. But to be like, again, like you said, I wasn't raised to be a, a devious, scandalous cheater. And I don't, so I would avoid a situation that would put me into that dilemma. Um, you know, but I was thinking about it as you were talking and maybe that it would never, first of all, would never happen. But perhaps if we change the system, take all the politicians out, replace them with, with people who do not come from a political background, who do not have family in politics. And every, every time somebody new comes in, no affiliation with politics, weren't raised by politicians. Like all of the people that are in there now are coming from families, it looks like, that were politicians. Um, you know, we got Bush one, Bush two. We got all the, we got the Clinton clan in there. We got the Clinton clan from Arkansas. From Arkansas, yeah. You know that there Clinton clan? Uh, so, you know, what if we um, just put people in there that weren't raised that way? That, that people like us that, you know, want to, that our servants so would be more likely to, and, or like focus on helping the people, doing the things that are going to help the people. And, you know, we, at the end of the day, we get our paycheck and when we're done, we're done. Hey, that's fine. You know, and. I think, I trust me, I get what you're saying, but for me, it's just like the, the whole system that the hoops that someone has to jump through to become a congressman, to become uh, uh, a senator to be in that world it's kind of you know it, it's kind of like you know they're they're putting you through your paces before you get there so you can't say no once you do get there do you right. know what I mean? it's little by little yeah but damn it I wish you would have mentioned, mentioned the Clintons because we're probably going to be dead oh damn oh man oh. If, we, if, we, if we wind up we wake up dead in the, the next few days you know what happened to us. Listen, you know, you know, this is like, it's very interesting. chloroform by a ghost of Jeffrey Epstein. And oh, man. <laughs> fucked in the ass. Oh, no, no, no. That's like that Sam uh, Kinison joke, you know, the necrophilia. You, you think you're, you're dead, you've moved on, you got peace, and all of a sudden someone's ramming you in the ass. You're like, oh, fuck, even in the end. No, 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 no. Um, listen, man, you guys, I think you guys are definitely admirable individuals. And I think most politicians go in with good intentions to do the right thing, but they get corrupted. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Now me, I have no sense of morality. So I probably would sign it. I probably would sign right there on the fucking dotted line. I'd be like, how how much, how much can I? Yeah. I I could see myself selling my soul to ensure. If you didn't have any sense of morality, you wouldn't do what you do for a living. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) you fool, man. (laughs) No, No, I mean, I can see, I can see why someone would sell their soul, um, you know, to, to ensure, you know, wealth, generational wealth for their family. So I can understand that. No, yeah, most definitely. I I can, I can see it, but, you know, uh, I I, I would like to think even if, even if I, I was doing, I was selling my, you know, doing whatever I was doing some dirty shit to make sure that, you know, my family and everything was taken care of, uh, for generations to come. I think I would hopefully also be 
setting up some good charities and stuff like that to try and give back as much while I was alive. Buy your soul back, right? Yeah, buy yeah. it back. <laughs> good deed. So, you know, with that, with the, uh, the problems of the world that we're solving right now, uh, yeah, three white guys in a room in Florida, so I'm all the fuck in the world. Um, what do you, you know, what do you, how would you handle it? What would you do? What do you think the very first thing you would do if you could change things tomorrow, if you could rule the world? You know, basically, uh, I would just be looking uh, if to change, in all seriousness, to change things for the better, I'd be looking at I'd be following, doing what I said, following the money trail of whatever it is, whether it was, you know, I was focusing on the, I don't know, the military industrial complex, the drug, you know, the, uh, what do you call it? The drug cartel, yeah, drug, yeah. drug war, uh, or just, you know, the simple, you know, business commerce, follow the money. And I would follow the money uh, to, and find out, you know, who was doing what and why and, and making decisions after that. But, you know, that's the one thing you would want to see happen, I think, is politicians having to argue the merits of the bills that they want passed on the merits of the bill and not on a lobbyist, you know, stock giveaways or a lobbyist junket that they went on, you know what I mean, somewhere. Or, you know, you'd want it to be make decisions based on sound uh, sound choices that are going to do good for the American people, not on, you know, uh, on a backroom deal where someone, you know, I scratch my back, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine type of thing. Did he stick to wine, puppies, and your podcast? Because I, I don't know if you're going to be let in. To no, building. I would never be let in. <laughs> <laughs> don't lock the fucking door. No. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we got anything else for tonight? Any exciting news? Anything else? I know, I've got no exciting news. And you never have exciting news. What about you? Yeah. I can work with dogs tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I am really excited about that. I got to say, I'm really so fucking happy about what I do right now. That's awesome, man. That's good that you found something that you like. You, you look forward to waking up and doing. Yeah. You know, and it's more than just a job and shit like that. Yeah, I mean, I was making a lot more money selling wine, trust me, but I wasn't happy at all. What if you combine the two? What if you sold wine while taking puppies with you? Imagine how much more wine you would sell. It could, you know, that's something I've been thinking about. That's a, yeah, you know. Yeah. You keep, you know, I get 10%. Just a wine and puppy bar? Yeah, there you go. Drink the wine, pet the puppies, and. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. Just, uh, do they have to wear hairnets? Hairnets? They still don't get in the wine. No, they gotta wear masks. It's fucking cold. It's the, the dogs? <laughs> the dogs don't wear masks. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I we did we did a couple hours. Um, I've got nothing else. I mean, we can continue to go down the rabbit hole. Oh, we did another farewell address. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that took I, about I, an hour I, and a half, didn't it? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I want to read the whole thing, but I didn't realize how. That, that wasn't was. the whole thing. No, man, that was like... Fuck, these people had a long attention span back, yeah, <laughs> back and, when he was getting out of office. I, I guess there was no Twitter back then. There wasn't no... That's true. Yeah. I mean, and I, I couldn't even pronunciate you, everything. Jeez. Like, just kept thinking like, oh, I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say more and more and more. Well, you know, they're so, they were so poetic, though. You know, like yeah. he's building, he's building, he's talking about... His duties and how grateful he is. And I feel sorry for the guy I had to hold up the cue cards for him because you know there wasn't any monitor that he could read off of. 
Oh no, man. Uh, yeah, I, I was. I wanted to read the whole thing, but uh, uh, I don't want to subject everybody to it. But the bottom line is, it was read for a hundred years in the school system, year after year, to remind Americans what being an American really was. It wasn't about, you know, it's about making all the money in the world, sticking in your ears. And going. There you go. Well, that's something to talk about, though. I mean, like, <laughs> you think about it. The American dream is financial. It's not ethical. That's right. When they talk about the revolution, the Revolutionary War, that's fucking bullshit. Like, oh, it was based on freedom. Based on no, it wasn't. It was based on taxes. <laughs> yeah, you had a bunch of rich white guys who didn't want to pay taxes. That's, that's right. the American Revolution, well, right the whole, there. The slogan, the, the the whole like slogan was, you know, uh, 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 no taxation without representation. That was the fucking slogan, and and that's what started the Revolutionary War. It wasn't freedom and liberty. Yeah. They just used that to to pull the rest of the people in. Yeah, the sheep. And to think if, you know, old King George would have just, you know, just heard heard him out for a second. Right. You know, none of this shit would have happened. That's right. We'd still we'd be British. Yeah. And this would still be, I don't know, part of Spain. Who, who had it? Well, that's true. That's, oh, man, the girls would be hot. Well, they are, they're hot now. We talk Spanish about. girls? Yeah. Yeah, they're, yeah. Especially the ones in Spain. In Spain. Oh, God, there's hot girls working at the airport. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. See, I'm thinking about, oh, for God. whatever reason, I'm Barcelona, thinking about forget about Portugal, Brazil. I've known some Brazilian girls, man. They're, that's fire. They're, they are fucking gorgeous. And yeah. Venezuelan. I've never been anywhere in South America. No? no? I traveled a lot through Europe, but I never got to, I never got into South America. Those Brazilian girls, the oh. Venezuelans will kill you. The Brazilians are like free. They're, man, they are Venezuelans sexy. make really good rum. Do they? Oh, yeah. I love rum. I do. I haven't had rum in a while. Rum, scotch, any form of whiskey. Is mm. like, that's, that's all I need. Yeah, I finally finished the 10 cases of wine that were in my house. I left selling wine. I had like all these samples left over. I finally finished all those. But I still got a lot of liquor left. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. man. Well, I think we'll wrap this up right now. Then. Okay. You feel good about that? I'm good. You know, Vinny, I want you to come back on. Man. Yeah, I do too. You're awesome. So you can come back any other time. This is a good any other test time. podcast. Yeah, was it? <laughs> yeah, you'll have a lot of fun with yours, man. And if you need help, you know. Yeah, once I figure out what I'm doing, um, you know. Uh, yeah. Just, you know, just don't try to figure out. Just fucking go do it. Yeah, that's, that's right. Thing, yeah. Just go with it, you know. I mean, it took us a while, but. Yeah. I mean, this shit was on our brains for two years. And then, you know, it was just, okay, stop fucking around and let's go. Inspiration. Uh, inspiration requires inspired action. Mm. Like another poet. Well, that goes in right into, you know, the next part of our uh, segment here. This is the typical ending that we have. We want to say that if there's any monetization, we're going to uh, donate 25% of that money to no we're going to split it between the cystic fibrosis foundation the muscular dystrophy dystrophy association and the spinal muscular atrophy i got all of that i'll take it <laughs> give me the money totally like a true politician give us the money <laughs> <laughs> the yeah so uh you know if you feel uh generous and you want to donate to keep the podcast alive and to you know contribute to these uh or individuals that are struggling with uh, conditions that you know they have no control over 
Feel free. Right Very now, good. I feel like I'm checking out at a grocery store and they're saying, "Oh, you want to donate, you know, some money to a children's charity?" Like, fuck no. Well, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, I do. There's people behind me. Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, here, here's a five. Listen, the point is, we're gonna, <laughs> this podcast is going to remain free. We're going to remain okay. free. But any type of monetization that we get, you know, yeah. is going to, you know, 25% of that's going to go towards those charities. That's awesome. The other thing is, you know, you were talking about inspiration. Uh, there's a couple people that inspired us to do this. And so, you know, we agreed that for the next year, 2021, we're going to give a shout out to people like Sam Harris and Sean Carroll. And that beautiful British bastard, Adam Meekins, and the, uh, the wonderful whiz, Joe Rogan. Because those of you guys are that, uh, that inspired us mm. to get off our ass and start talking about shit. I mean, Joe Rogan's been bitching about somebody uh, talking about health and nutrition and uh, how to help one's immunity and why aren't we getting out there on a loudspeaker. And that's where we felt like, hey, we got something to say. It's in our brains. Let's get it out. And that's why we started this. So thank you to yeah. those to those guys for the inspiration. And uh, we appreciate everything. Okay. Well, thank you, Vinny, for coming on. Well, thanks for having me, guys, man. It was awesome being here. Um, uh, I like you guys a lot. I think you're great. Um, it's just fun, man. It's fun just talking. I really hope to come back. That's awesome. Let's go play with some puppies. <laughs>